0: Hey, what's up, everybody, and thank you for hitting the play button on the Derek Diamond Experience. And thank you to those who listen every single Thursday on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and ddepodcast.com. This week, we will be concluding our look into the world of the Pensacola Blue Wahoos with Blue Wahoos co-owner, Quint Studer. But first, I want to tell you about a great album by my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers. It's called Murder Mystery Night and features 10 original tracks, including their single, Carne Asada, and Twin Peaks, which is also the theme song of the Derek Diamond Experience. You can find Murder Mystery Night on iTunes, Amazon, Google Music, and Spotify. And if you want to follow them on social media, just find them on Facebook, search for the Unicorn Wranglers, and they're also on Instagram and Twitter, at That's at U-W-R-A-N-G-L-E-R-S. You are listening to The Derek Diamond Experience. Welcome to episode number 71 of the Derek Diamond Experience for the week of September 10th, 2015. As always, I am coming to you from the Gulf Coast of Pensacola, Florida. As you heard at the top of the show, we'll be concluding our look into the world of the Pensacola Blue Wahoos this week. And what I originally had in mind was to do a two-part feature on the Wahoos. One episode featuring the team, the other the front office staff, the management side. And I wanted that to kind of coincide with the end of the baseball season. But if you follow the team, you know that the season's not quite over yet. And that's because for the first time in its four-year history, the Pensacola Blue Wahoos are going to the playoffs. They won the second half in their division, the South Division of the Southern League. And it's kind of crazy to see the huge turnaround from the team because I'll be perfectly honest, at the beginning of the year, the team was not very good. They won a total of four or five games in the month of April. And it's just been crazy to see, and we'll get at least one playoff game at Bayfront Stadium. If you're listening to this on Thursday, then the team is in Biloxi. They'll be playing the Biloxi Shuckers in a best three out of five series. The first two games will be in Biloxi, and then they come back to Pensacola on Saturday. So we're going to get at least one playoff game, and I'm very curious to see what happens. But I think the fans are going to pack out the stadium. It's going to be crazy. The fans are going to be loud, rowdy. And it's going to be really cool to see because if you think about it, the Wahoos have had a huge impact on the city of Pensacola because I remember when downtown used to be nothing. And the area where Bayfront Stadium is used to be a toxic waste dump. And you're going to hear how that was turned into, in my opinion, the best minor league ballpark out there. No one else has the view being right on the water, the location, quite like we do. And I found out about that firsthand from my guest this week, and he is one of the co-owners of the Blue Wahoos. His name is Quint Studer, and I've worked for Quint for the last three years, and I know how the Wahoos came into being, how they came to Pensacola in the way that they did, but I didn't want to just hear about that. I wanted to know why Quint thought it was important to bring a baseball team to Pensacola and find out some more of his background in healthcare, where he's from, what brought him to Pensacola, and just the impact that the team has had on the community. And I will say in closing, I want to thank Quint, the team, the front office staff, everyone who took time over the last couple of weeks to do these interviews and given me the opportunity to do this feature on the Wahoos and just the opportunity I've had to work there for the last three years has been three of the best years of my life. So I just wanted to say thank you. And without further ado, here is my interview with Blue Wahoos co-owner, Quint Studer. <laughs> back here at pensacola bayfront stadium with my very special guest this week co-owner of the pensacola blue wahoos mr quint studer quint how are you today good thank
1: you for the opportunity to be on
0: Oh, thank you, and thank you for taking the time to do it. I've been looking forward to this ever since. Uh, you know, I talked with Annalise and set this up, and I've been looking forward to it ever well, since. Good. Well, thank you. So, I, I wanted to start off by asking, uh, where are you from originally? Where did you grow up?
1: I was born in 1951, July 25th, at McNeil Hospital in Berwyn, Illinois, which is an, a suburb of Chicago. Um, then I was lived in Brookfield, which is probably the most famous thing there is—the Brookfield Zoo. And then um, when I was in fifth grade, my family moved right next door to a place called LaGrange, Illinois. So until I went to college, I stayed there. It's a western suburb of Chicago. It's about 11 miles to the loop. Um, at the time, it was considered a western suburb. Now it would no longer be considered a western
0: mm-hmm. western suburb. Cool. Very cool. And where, where did you go to college? Did you go to college in Illinois?
1: No, I went to college in Wisconsin, in okay. southern Wisconsin, in Whitewater, Wisconsin, at a school called the University of Wisconsin at Whitewater. Very similar to a University of West Florida. Almost the same size. Actually,
0: almost exactly the same size. Very, very similar. Okay. Okay. And after you graduated college, is it then that you moved to Pensacola, or did you do a little bit of traveling before you made your but way I here? graduated from
1: college in I'm trying to think now. 1973. I got my master's in 78, and I didn't get down to Pensacola until 23 years later. Okay. I started out as a special education teacher, teaching children special needs for 10 years. Then I got a job in a detox or a treatment center for um, alcoholism, and I worked there for three years. And then I went to a hospital in Janesville, Wisconsin, where this all happened, I student taught in Janesville. It's right by Whitewater. And then I um, went to the local hospital there called Mercy Hospital for about six and a half years. Then for 1993, I went back to Chicago and I was at a hospital there called Holy Cross Hospital in Chicago from 93 to 96. And then in June of 1996, I took the president of Baptist Hospital, Inc. here in Pensacola. So healthcare and Baptist Hospital being the president of their hospital here in Pensacola is what brought me here.
0: And what was it that made you want to get into healthcare and medical field? Is that something that you wanted to do at an early age, or is it something that...
1: No, I think I always wanted to help people. I think I became a special education teacher. I've always had an affinity toward, I think, maybe the underdog, people that didn't have all the advantages. So I think special education certainly fit that. Um, You know, I talk about the fact that I think we all search for jobs that have purpose. We want to do worthwhile work and Mm -hmm. we want to make a difference. And certainly special education did that. Then working in the drug and alcohol field did that. You'd see people that were devastated, their families blown apart. And though there's failure, there were those success cases that you saw. And then working in healthcare is really rewarding. Because, um, you know, you're dealing with people at some of the most vulnerable times of their life. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you can um, feel like you're making a difference um, is something which I've always been attracted to. So I think this whole idea somehow from an early age of wanting to um, wanting to make a difference is just something that's always, always been with me. So I've been lucky enough to, to work in fields that you can do that.
0: So from an early age, you knew you wanted to help people?
1: Yeah, that was it. And, you yeah know, even in high school, I was like a teacher's aide in the special education classroom, those types of things.
0: no, I, I i can I can totally relate to that. And being here in Pensacola, and you know you you started or you came up with the idea of bringing baseball back to Pensacola. Why was it that you wanted to do that?
1: Well, I don't think I came up with the idea. I think what I came up with, um, I, I thought it was valuable to have in Pensacola. In about 2002, I remember reading in the paper that minor league baseball was coming to Pensacola. Now, be growing up in the city of Chicago and then Milwaukee and then back to Chicago, I really didn't have a lot of understanding minor league baseball except maybe Bull Durham or right, something yeah, like yeah. that. But I, I So I, I was around major league baseball. And, of course, minor league baseball always had that little attraction, you know, we, we get into. and um, But I didn't know a lot about it. And so I read this story that minor league baseball is coming and they're going to be the Pensacola Pelicans and they're going to play at Pensacola Junior College. At the time, I didn't even know there was independent leagues, which Mm -hmm. is not affiliated with the major league team. And major league, well, this was an an independent team. And my wife and I went to a game at Pensacola Junior College and they were playing the Selma Cloverleafs. And it was really a, a pretty exciting game. The left fielder for Selma made some unbelievable catches And I said to my wife, this is really neat. It reminded me of, and a lot of people won't recognize this, but years ago, Life Magazine would have these pictorials and you'd feel like farm auctions or, you know, what America's like, the fabric of America. And this whole minor league baseball experience reminded me of that fabric of America. So the next day in the paper, it said the Blue Wahoo, or not, excuse me, the Pensacola Pelicans were being sold. So I said, gee, I wish I would have known that, And even though I didn't know what it cost, how it works or anything. And then the next day, it said the sale fell through. So I called Gordon Paulus, who was at the News Journal at the time, and asked him about it, and he told me to call Montgomery. The people that owned the team were in Montgomery. And I called him up, and literally, if I would just pick, take up the debt I could have the team. And that's what I found, the difference between affiliated baseball and independent baseball. Then independent baseball, it's really for fellas who either never got to affiliated, they want to impress somebody so they get signed or got cut and they're looking to get back. Um, you take care of the players' salaries. And these leagues are very vulnerable, which I learned the hard way. So I bought, when I bought the team, there were six teams in the league. It went immediately down to four teams in the league. And, I mean, we'd sit there where teams, the night before, I, the day I owned it, we were going to have a big celebration at Pensacola Junior College. The, one, the team that was in town refused to come to the game because they hadn't been paid. So I, I learned an independent baseball you really have to not only make sure your team is strong, but hope everybody else in the league is, is strong. And then it became really apparent that this is really vulnerable, this league. So I bought a team. Um, they wouldn't let me into the Central League, which was a little stronger league. So I actually bought a team to get into the Central League, and even though it was sort of transparent because we named them the Pelicans, mm-hmm. it got me the Central League. Well, then once I got in the Central League – Um, I realized, well, that league wasn't as strong as I'd like. So we ended up going into one of the stronger leagues with the American Association, which has some longtime independent teams. And these independent teams were in bigger cities like Lincoln, Nebraska, um, St. Paul, Minnesota. And they were in cities that couldn't get a minor league team because somebody in the affiliated owned those territorial rights. Mm -hmm. So those were stronger stronger teams, and I never thought we'd have an affiliated team because the Montgomery um, team owned the territorial rights for Escambia County, Florida, Right, and so I just sort of went into this train. How can we run the best independent team we can? How can we bring people exciting entertainment, good fan experiences, not realizing that someday we would have an
0: affiliated team? And it is, it's kind of crazy to see what it's become, and how, how exactly do you feel the Wahoos have impacted the city of Pensacola? Because I remember, because I'm born and raised here, I remember when downtown was pretty much nothing. Mm-hmm. And then since the Wahoos, you know, were were formed, basically, you, you've got new restaurants, downtown's a lot more livelier, and I, I feel like this place really sparked that.
1: No, I was with Judge Lacey Collier today, who was in this from the beginning, a great friend of Jack Fetterman. And, you know, he believes this has been the catalyst, Mm -hmm. the catalyst for downtown Pensacola. And I agree. And it, it is, when you look at cities, according to Gallup research, that go through a resurgence, one of the first things they do is create something that brings thousands of people downtown. They get downtown, eventually they say, I wouldn't mind eating here. I wouldn't mind buying, shopping here. I wouldn't mind working here. and I wouldn't mind living here. So you sort of have the four-legged stool, something that brings a lot of people down. Then you have the retail entertainment, portion of it then you have the office i want to work down here and now i want to live down here so i think it can't be isolated you know you can't separate things it's sort of like you know you can't say that chicago would be what it was if it wasn't for millennium park or you know this wouldn't be what it was if it wasn't for the gulf of mexico so everything's connected and i believe that a couple things number one certainly Um, Somebody told me the other day when they drove down Main Street, they couldn't see the water anymore and they couldn't see the water ever because this was completely blocked off. It's 15 feet above sea level and it was, you know, it was a toxic site that Mm -hmm. no one could walk on. And then on the other side was the treatment plant. And how can you create a vibrant downtown if you have a treatment plant on one side of the street and toxic air to breathe? And their side of the street, so I think clearing off those sites of land, but if they're just empty green space, that's another thing. That's a fallacy. That parks create people; they don't. Parks are parks. You have to have programs that go on, people that are coming down, concerts that are coming down, or it's just one more piece of green grass. Right. So I think having the Wahoos here, getting three hundred thousand thousand people come down, um, I think it's I think it's ignited the town. And I think the other thing I think we've done really well is the Wahoos have become a brand. Mm-hmm. Just like the Blue Angels are a brand. I mean, the Wahoos are, are. I got you know. Destin had an article in them. The Chicago Tribune, July 25th, the front page, of the sports page, the front page of the front page of the Chicago Tribune had an article on one of our ballplayers from Chicago. And there's a big picture of him in the Blue oh, Wow. Waho. I didn't know that. You know, Bubba Watson's golf, and they talk about the Blue Wahoos. The fact mm-hmm. that 94 million people could have watched us on national TV this year. So, yeah, I I think it's been a, I think if, you know, in history, when people look back at Pensacola and say, what sparked that renaissance, I think the the park and certainly bringing in an affiliated team, and that's the other thing. I think we would have been okay with an independent team playing 48 games here, um, but we would have never gotten the notoriety or the attention if it wasn't for affiliated baseball.
0: I think a lot of that has to do with, I mean, the fact that we're a Reds affiliate, people thinking, oh, well, they could be playing for the Reds tomorrow and then you could look back and say oh i watched that guy play you know 2 days ago a year ago in Pensacola i think is i think that's appealing as well i think
1: for i think for there's a certain group that's very appealing for example you know the fact that dd gregarious is a shortstop for the new york yankees mm-hmm. and is having a phenomenal year the fact that the other night the battery, the pitcher and catcher for the Cincinnati Reds were Mike Lorenzen, who pitched here last year, and Tucker Barnhart, who spent two years here. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had 25 players that have gone from the Pensacola Blue Wahoos onto the Cincinnati Reds, and that's not counting the fact that we've had Simmons from the Braves play here when he was with Mobile, Segura when he was with Hounsville that's up with the Brewers, the fact that Pugh played right field here when mm-hmm. he was with um, Chattanooga, the fact that um, you had Yelich with Jacksonville, who's mm-hmm. you know playing in Miami, they played here in left field. So certainly, I think it really brings out the wow. And then you have all these scouts that are here. You know, every game we have scouts. We have you know Walt Jockety. We have GMs that are here. Many of them people uh, have never spent here because when they go to Florida, they think of Fort Myers. They think mm-hmm. of Miami. You know, they think of Sarasota. This is the the off-the-beaten path. So I think we've helped to put Pensacola more on
0: the map. And something that I wanted to ask you specifically about the Wahoos, because in my time here I've noticed that the main thing we emphasize or something that we really emphasize is fan and customer service. And I had the opportunity to go to a couple of different minor league ballparks this year and, you know, not to knock what they do. But I feel like we do something, you know, way different and better than anybody else when it comes to fan experience. Well, and I, you
1: know, I think we can say objectively we do.
0: And, you know, you don't want to just subjectively say right.
1: it. But if you look at Turnkey, who, which measures professional sports satisfaction, um, in baseball, we had the highest fan experience in all of baseball. And it wasn't even close. It's like a team winning by like twenty games, right? Um, and and I think that's a great credit to the very foundation we set was fan experience, and that's the culture. And then we everybody gets hired for fa- and it's and they understand it's okay. Um, Marcus Michaels is an attorney in town told me this weekend that the first game he went to, he had these really he has these really great seats, and he took his drink and he put it sort of in the stand thing, cup holder there. Against the backstop bomb is what it is. Then he got his two girls all situated, mm-hmm. and then a ball hit the net, hit his drink, and spilt all over. <laughs> he said immediately this usher starts running down the aisle, says, what were you drinking? I'll be right back, and brings him a, the exact thing he was drinking and says, that's on us. He said he was so thrilled he took pictures and put it on Facebook. <laughs> so, and, and I believe that's vital. Because, you know, new stadiums wear out. It's like a, if you can have a great restaurant, but if the food's not good and the service isn't good, you have a pretty building with no yeah, business. You're so, not going to go back for a building. And, and what happens in minor league baseball or any sports thing, that they, they get delusional because they think they're good because they're seeing a lot of people coming their first or second year. Well, you have to realize that's got a honeymoon. And the real key is that third year. That fourth year, that fifth year. So, how do you sustain it? And so, we want to create a brand, and we want to be known as having the best customer service. Not only in baseball, but you know, we we feel we can be out Ritz, Disney. We we try to go head to head with anybody, people, anything people think
0: about when they think of great experiences. And uh, for a personal story with that, uh, I didn't work here the first year. I started in 2013, but I did come to one game as a fan. Uh, right at the end of the 2012 season and that was the one thing that stood out to me was how nice the staff was how you know particular they were about helping if we needed it so that that was something that that has stuck with me you know, since my time here. It does. And I think what people realize, have to
1: realize too, is from the people that are in leadership here or in management, realize their job is to have happy employees. Mm-hmm. Their job is to engage employees. So I think that's one thing we, we try to work on really hard and we measure employee engagement. I bet you, I'm not sure there's another minor league team that uses an outside company to measure employee engagement. Many businesses don't. Yet they say, oh, our employees are our number one asset. Well, don't you... Usually we measure assets, and usually the thing that always gets measured is cash. Well, then your number one asset might be cash. And we really believe that if we focus on our employees have a great place for them to work, then that will resonate
0: as the the fans will feel that from the employees. And last question I wanted to ask you. Looking back on the four years that the Wahoos have been here, we're wrapping up Season 4, what's been – some of your personal favorite memories that have happened that they don't have to be necessarily baseball related but since you know you've on the team since its inception what's been some personal highlights of you
1: yeah um, early on Brian Spencer um, brought a lady up who lived in the community who was in her 90s and she came up the stairs and because the water's pretty blocked in Pensacola and she lived in not I would say in poverty He brought her as a guest. She got up to the top of the stairs, and she said, I've never seen the water like this. Um, We had another lady um, come into the park and literally couldn't believe it was Pensacola and cried. Wow. And and that was one. We had a, a great email I got from a gentleman one day, and he sent me a copy of an email he got from his dad. And he'd been calling his dad at night, his dad and mom, and they hadn't been answering So he showed me, sent me the email. And the email basically said Dear son, we have now have a Pensacola Blue Wahoos in town. Your mother and I have season tickets to the Wahoo Games. When you call at night, uh, we are not home because we're at a Wahoo game. Check out their website for the schedule, and you'll be able to know when we're home and when we're not. He said, Do you know how great it feels for a son to know his parents are enjoying life and going to a Wahoo game? we got we've gotten pictures of people that took their last one of their last memories of mom and dad were being were being at a baseball Game here. The boy that ran around the field um, last year with the brain tumor, then passed away, mm-hmm. but got to, to feel what it was like to run around the field. The article that Andy Marlette did on the fella that when the Pelicans came to town, him and his dad, because there was a large age gap, he was the last child, went to Pelican games, then went to Wahoo games. And one of the last things his father said before he died is, did the Wahoos win last night? So I, I really all my memories are along along those lines. It's fans having experiences. And, you know, my favorite part of every game is watching the kids run across the field chasing a cockroach.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a personal highlight of mine, too. But uh, I did want to say in closing, uh, thank you very much for taking the time to do the interview. It was, oh, it was great.
1: My, my pleasure. I appreciate you working here. Thank you.
0: My thanks again to Quint Studer for taking the time out of his very busy schedule to talk with me for a few minutes about how the Blue Wahoos came to Pensacola and their impact on the community. Next week, we will be looking into the world of graphic design with designer Michael Daw, and trust me, you'll definitely want to check out that episode. And don't forget, you can check out past episodes of this show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or you can stream them directly from the website, which is ddepodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, just search for The Derek Diamond Experience, and we're also on Twitter at DDE underscore podcast. And that's all I've got, so thank you once again for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond. Enjoy the rest of your week, have a safe and fun weekend, and we'll see you guys next Thursday.